Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. For everything. For everything indie. For everything cults. It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. George Bremer, Ryan Hickey here with you. And George, I feel like I have deja vu. Because just last week, we were starting the show off with a chance for the Colts to end a streak. This time, or this time last week, the streak was losses in week one. That number was eight. Now we are sitting here talking about the Colts possibly ending a streak. Uh, this time, not winning in Jacksonville since 2014. The Colts technically, technically broke the losing streak for week number one. But obviously, we know they did not get a win. What is your what is your level of confidence? What is your level of optimism that maybe on Sunday evening we were talking about the Colts finally breaking what has been a futile streak in Jacksonville? Honestly, it's pretty low right now. I mean, I feel like this team lost a lot of the benefit of the doubt last time out. You know, you go into week one and you believe, okay, things are going to be different and, and they've changed a lot of things and, and they've ironed some things out. But for three quarters on Sunday, it looked a lot like it did the last time we saw this team in Jacksonville. Uh, and right now, you know, look, week one's weird every year. We talk about that across the league. It's not just here. Uh, most people find a way to win. The good teams find a way to win. Uh, Colts tried to find a way to win. I think you have a whole different feeling. It's kind of it's kind of terrible to, to, to recognize that if that field goal goes through, you're probably having a totally different conversation. But at the same time, divorce that from the reality that, hey, this team played bad football for, for three quarters. The tape, I think, looks better 
then, you know, they always say it's never as good as you think it is. It's never as bad as you feel like it is uh, when you go watch the tape. And I think the tape feels better. They were dominating that game in a lot of ways. Even though they were down 20 to three, the mistakes were just so massive. You know, whether it's running into the kicker, whether it's fumbling the ball five times, whether it's two drop touchdown passes. Uh, so, you know, the, the mistakes, they, they literally couldn't get out of their own way. And I think we've just seen that happen so many times in Jacksonville. It's hard to just sit here right now and assume uh, in six days' time or whatever the time between the games, it, they're going to flip a switch and, and change everything. And we will talk to Marcel Robinson in a little bit here to get kind of his perspective, host of the Jagsaw podcast, to get you know his behind-the-scenes view of what is leading to this cold streak. But you're right, George. Like Last Sunday's game against the Texans really did mirror a lot of the issues that have gone wrong for the Colts in Jacksonville. A lot of it has been self-inflicted, whether it's been Andrew Luck, whether it's been Phillip Rivers, or as we know last year with Carson Wentz, a lot of it, for the most part, has been the Colts beating themselves, not the other way around. And it's frustrating when you watch this team commit the same mistakes and really, like you said, allow an inferior team to hang around and tie when you are dominating most of the game in almost every statistical category, except really the only thing that actually matters, which is a scoreboard. Are you a believer in like curses or hex? I know like sports fans are, are very weird when it comes to like superstitions. It's been a long streak in Jacksonville. Are you a believer in like uh, in curses? You know, I try not to be, but the, the more you're around this team, the more you start to wonder. I mean, how else do you explain 0-8-1 in week one with the things that this team has done any other 16 weeks in most of those years? And how else do you explain losing 6 to nothing in 2018 to Jacksonville? Yeah. That team was red hot. I mean, they had an eight-game winning streak going down there. They got shut out with Andrew Luck under quarterback. I Look, I don't – generally am not a superstitious guy. I don't really think much of, of you know, curses and, and, and things like that, but – this is one of those things it's, I don't know. I don't know how else you explain this, honestly. I am definitely superstitious. I'll be honest. Like if I wear a Colts jersey, let's say, and they win that week, well, I'm definitely wearing the same thing next week. I'm like, I'm not going to be the, the reason why this team loses for sure. So I will say, I, there, I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it is. If it's something in the water, if it's just like an intimidation factor. Like, George, do you, have you been to every Jacksonville game since 2014? No, you know what's funny? So I was talking about this the other day with my parents because they were asking me where I've been the most. You figure Jacksonville's high on the list because they're in the division. I've only been there once. But really? The, we only, you know, we've had different, everybody's had travel issues the last few years, so that's part of it. Uh, but the two times that I went on the road with Jacksonville, one was in London and, and one was in Jacksonville. So uh, I've only been there. This will only be the second time that I've been there. Um but, you know, you, you see what's going on. I mean, we talked about that 6 nothing game in 2018. That one sticks out to me the most just because uh, of all of them. It's such a they, – they were in an 11-game stretch where they were a super team except for yep. one game in Jacksonville. Um, but, you know, 2020, uh, Marlon Mack gets hurt in, the I think, the second quarter, uh, and they turn the ball over a bunch in the third and fourth quarter, and Jacksonville comes back and, and stuns them. And that's a Jacksonville team that only won one game. Uh, I want to say the 2019 game was close going into the fourth quarter, and they turned the ball over like three times, end up getting blown out by Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Uh, you know, last year, we're not going to replay that. Everybody knows that one's fresh yeah. in, in, in everyone's mind. But, you know, I, the one thing I think if you're looking for like some sort of cohesive explanation, I think what Jacksonville's done really well is drag the game down in the mud, make it hard to do anything, and then win in the trenches. I think when they do that, 
the Colts don't get that a lot. You know what I mean? The Colts, have, especially in the Frank Reich era, they're used to being the bullies. Their offensive line's dictating to, to the other team. Jacksonville's been the one team consistently. I mean, they've had other spots here and there. They didn't play great, you know, against Houston even this, this week. But Jacksonville consistently has been the one team that's come out and kind of punched back and, and won that battle more often than not. And that's part of the reason why I like I am concerned and even almost to a, a sense like superstitious and a point like you're right. The the defensive line especially has been one of the biggest reasons for Jacksonville why they have been just so dominant at home against the Colts in recent years. But it's also too like you look okay, they don't have a big home field advantage so it's not like the Colts offensive line is kind of playing, you know, at a disadvantage because, you know, the defensive line has their ears pinned back because it's so loud you can't hear yourself think and you're on a silent count. The the home crowd has been favorable or, or non-factor for the most part, so you can't really say that's a big deal. You know, talent-wise, there's not a lot of talent on this Jacksonville Jaguars team, really outside of the one year they went to the AFC title game in 2017, and that was one of the worst iterations of the Colts we've seen in the street because that was the year Angel like obviously did not play. So it's like you really try to look for a reason, and you're right. The defensive line is one of the areas you could point to that Jacksonville has dominated the most. And on paper, that should be an area where the Colts are best equipped to push back. They have, in terms of draft pick-wise, uh, uh, payment-wise, they have put so much resources, time, and effort into building an offensive line. We were talking about in the last pod, the, the latest extension for Quentin Nelson, you know, resetting the guard market. They got Ryan Kelly extended him. You drafted Braden Smith back in 2018 as well. You have foundational pieces on your offensive line that should be able to withstand a Jacksonville Jaguars push. By the way, George, for the most part, for the most part, a lot of these years with the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive line, it's been younger players. They've been drafting a lot of the, uh, of guys in the defensive end, but there's still there's not a lot of established Calais Campbell-esque veterans that are dominating. It's been a lot of young talent. We'll see another one this weekend, Trayvon Walker. But it's like this should be a unit that is built to withstand the Jaguars' pressure, and for whatever reason, they can't. Obviously, last year was the biggest example of that, where there should have been no excuse for it, and that was really where the game was won and lost is because they couldn't defend it and couldn't get any sort of push up front to either you know, keep Carson Wentz upright or open in holes for Jonathan Taylor. I was say, extends to Jonathan Taylor. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, you look at the last six quarters that they played against this team, the last game and then the two quarters in the second half of the game at Lucas Oil Stadium, they've done as good a job as anybody on Jonathan Taylor. His numbers were decent in the second game. I think he got close to 100 yards, might have even been at like 105, somewhere between like 93 and 105, something like that. Uh, but his yards per carry are, are way down compared to where he normally is. Again, they just make that sledding really, really rough. Uh, I think they're, if I'm Jacksonville, and then we'll get into the game preview a little bit more in the third segment of, the, of today's show. But uh, if I'm Jacksonville, my goal is to come out and stack the box, make them prove again that they can you know, get that push, and then double-team Michael Pittman. And I'll take my chances with everybody else, honestly. That's a great strategy, George, uh, George too, because you look on Wednesday – the Colts have announced that Alec Pierce is in concussion protocol after that big hit that he suffered on Sunday. Now it was a later onset concussion-like symptoms, which is why he's back in the game. And now we're just learning about this on Wednesday. But that also now underscores, to your point, okay, you want to take away Jonathan Taylor. You want to double-team Michael Pittman Jr. One of the guys we have both talked about and looked at as you know taking advantage of one-on-one -on -one opportunities and stepping up with the Colts in him has been Alec Pierce. If he's unable to play on Sunday, that's another weapon that is now off the field and now puts extra pressure on guys like Paris Campbell. You're probably going to see Mike Strawn on the field more. I think either way, if Alec Pierce does play or not, because Strawn was, was one of the few guys that did make a few impact plays and was called upon. And Mo Ali Cox, too. Like, you're going to have now really 
really have to rely on your ancillary weapons to make plays. Otherwise, I mean, I'll be honest, George, I think we're looking at another loss in this streak continuing. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. And I think when you talk about Mo Ali Cox, you got to factor in the fact, too, he's probably not going to run a lot of routes. They're going to go mass protection a lot. They're going to have to because of what they've seen from this Jacksonville team in the past and because Josh Allen is a game changer. You know, he's absolutely a beast. And now you've got Trayvon Walker on the other side. Uh, you've got a lot to worry about. I think you're going to have to keep Mo Ali Cox in more often than, than you might in another game. I think you're going to have to keep Jonathan Taylor in. He's going to probably be on the field an awful lot because he's going to have to be out there to chip and to try to keep Matt Ryan upright. And so the receivers are going to have to make plays. And I think that's a huge thing. And I think Mike Strawn is going to play a big role in that, uh, especially if Alec Pierce can't go. But Mike Strawn is the one guy this Jacksonville team doesn't know because the Colts don't know him all that well. I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't played a ton on the field. I talked to him in the locker room on Wednesday. He said he's feeling 100% now. The injury is completely behind him. He obviously got that through, you know, the spring and, and, and most of training camp. It's out of the way. It's He doesn't have any limitations. Um, he had, you could argue, hey, look, it's, it's a low bar, but he had probably the best game of his career on Sunday against the Texans. And I know it's just a couple catches, but that's important because we were talking about that all summer. Can he go out there, earn time on the field, make plays? He did it in week one. I'm not saying he's going to go out and have a 100-yard game. They don't need that. But he's the kind of guy that if he makes a play or two, maybe you have to rethink your strategy on Pittman. Absolutely, right? Anything at this point to take attention off of the two most important guys for the Colts, Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor. You're right. They, they need guys to step up big time. And for Strong, too, he's a guy that I think is really going to be probably the, the biggest focal point for the Colts or, or maybe the most important outside of those two main guys. Because one area we've seen, George, is that the Colts receivers and the Titans have struggled with so far in training camp in, in week number one, separation. You know, especially one-on-one. I know it's preseason, but we have seen the Colts when they were going against, especially Buffalo early on. When you're up in some of these Colts receivers' faces, they struggle getting separation, getting, you know, uh, free one-on-one. Well, if you're looking now at a defensive line of Jacksonville where they're either going to be getting pressure or, to your point, you're going to be max protecting, only sending two or three guys out in a route at a time and maybe using Mo Cox and Jonathan Taylor to pass protect. Well, Matt Ryan, either way, he's probably not going to have a lot of time. You're going to have to get the ball out quick. You need to win your route either at the line of scrimmage right away or present a big target for Ryan to throw the ball to. And that's at least what Strawn does. He's not a burner by any stretch of the imagination, but he gives Matt Ryan a big target where he's got to throw the ball quick on, let's say, a, a slant or a 10-yard curl, strongly does provide you a big range to throw the ball and have him go make a play. Yeah, you know, and the other guy I think it's going to be really huge is, is Paris Campbell. You saw in the fourth quarter he was finding the hole in the zone and, mm-hmm. and getting those big third down plays. He's the guy, I think, who's got that speed, that, that short area quickness to win early. In, in the down and, and get that, you know, be that hot guy, so to speak, right. be that hot route. And he's also a guy who can take that underneath route and, and make something happen. The Colts need these kinds of things. If you're going to go and break this streak, you need these kind of plays to happen. You're going to need guys to, to take some underneath routes and, and, and break them big. And you're going to need somebody other than Michael Pittman or Jonathan Taylor to step up and, and make big plays. And the theme, George, too, if you want to say there's one overarching theme for the most part of this losing streak in Jacksonville, it's been just that, the lack of ability of anyone outside of your main contributors to step up. Last year, no one did. Even in some of the wins against Jacksonville and Indy the last few years, it's been the Jonathan Taylor show or the special team show like last year at home blocking a punt for a touchdown. It's been a lot of those small areas. But for the most part, especially in Jacksonville, those guys you need to rely on, whether it's 2018, whether it's 2020, whether it's 2021, you need a big play out of anyone not named Michael Pittman Jr. or Jonathan Taylor. 
you're not really finding it. So you're right. You really need someone outside of the two main guys here to make a play. Right? We're not asking for 100 yards receiving or three touchdowns per se from a running back or receiver, but it's those three, four, five plays, maybe on a third down, maybe on a first down, you take a shot, go deep. It's make those three or four plays that truly are the difference where the Colts have not done it the last few years, that now if you do hit a few of those plays will be the big difference. Speaking of hitting big plays, George, we got the breaking news on Tuesday. The Colts waived Rodrigo Blankenship after uh, his missed 42-yard field goal in overtime and his two kickoffs out of bounds. The Colts so far have not named a starting kicker, although they have uh, signed two kickers and basically have a competition leading into the game on Sunday. Chase McLaughlin, who was on the Colts back in 2019, went five out of six in that season, and rookie Lucas Haversek. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I apologize if I'm not Lucas. But two, one known commodity, again, Colts fans know Chase McLaughlin, another unknown commodity in Lucas. I think either way, whoever does win the, if you want to call it a kicking competition, George, between now and Sunday, I don't think it's going to matter too much because I think we're going to see a much more aggressive Frank Reich, almost like 2018 levels of aggressiveness, where if you go back to that overtime game against the Texans where he's going forward on his what, his own 18-yard line, I, I think it's going to be <laughs> uber, uber, uber aggressive because you cannot assume anything with this kicking game uh, going forward on Sunday. No, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, he even talked about today a little bit. There was a big on Wednesday when we talked to him, uh, there was a big discussion about analytics and, you know, how do you determine different things? And he was talking about the charts and, and green boxes. And then there's green plus one and green plus two. And, you know, the, the wildcat play was a green plus two in case you're wondering, uh, which means it was a solid go. I don't know that, you know, particularly that play, but that fourth and two situation was. Um, but then there's a sliding scale for kickers that also kind of factors into that, you know, so, and that changes during the game. But he'll go to, to John Park and George Lee, who are the, the numbers guys, the analytics guys in this organization. And, you know, they'll tell him this is where the this is where the kickers rank right now. And he said he's going to take into account how the game's going. You know, obviously, if, if the kicker's hot, if, if he's had some good kicks already that day, maybe you, you take that into account and you're ready to go. If he's already had a miss or two, you have to factor that in as well. Uh, so it's it's definitely a sliding scale, and he's very open about the fact that the kicker is, you know, a major part of that, that formula, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see a much more aggressive Frank Reich uh, because he probably needs to be. I mean, until one of these kickers wins the competition, comes out and establishes himself in the NFL – that could be five, six weeks from now. Um, you know, I, I think especially in a situation like this. Now, it's tough because he was ultra aggressive in 2018 against Jacksonville, passed up a lot of field goals in a game they mm-hmm. lost six to nothing. So, you know, there's going to be some of that weighing on his mind, I think. But I think that's not what you're talking about. I don't think you're talking about fourth and two, you know, at the 15. I think you're talking about fourth and five at their own, you know, at, at Jacksonville's 35. You're probably not settling for the field goal there. Yeah, I think outside of, I think honestly, George, if we're sitting here fourth and two at like the Jacksonville five, I think he's going for it. Like, I think unless it's like fourth and goal from like the eight or like, you know, where it's just like fourth and 10 from like the 20, I think Frank's going to be like insanely, insanely aggressive in this game for two reasons. Number one, just because the kicker, like we said, is such an unknown where it's hard to rely, even if it's a chippy, it's still just, I think at this point, you feel more comfortable with the offense going for it. But also too, I think it does send a good message to the team. Like, hey, look, we know the streak's hanging overhead. I think it's fair to say they knew the week one streak was kind of hanging over their head going into Tennessee, uh, going into, excuse me, Houston last week. So where 
now at least if you kind of know, all right, here we go, another streak, another, you know, negative thing hanging over our heads. I think being the aggressors in a place that has been the house of horrors for this team in recent years, I think it helps bring confidence, kind of ease the minds and maybe ease the, I don't want to say anxiety because so many of these guys haven't been there for that long. So they're not, you know, no one's been there since 2014. So no one, you know, has, you know, knows what it's like to lose the team consistently. But I do think it, when you are ultra aggressive and say, hey, I have faith in you guys getting it done on fourth and two from the five yard line. I do think it sends a good message to the rest of the team. Hey, I believe in you. I know he tried that last week. It didn't work. I still think it's a good message, especially when you're going against what it's going to be an aggressive Jacksonville defense. I think set the tone that, hey, we're not scared. We're coming here to play. I think we'll benefit the Colts here in a big way on Sunday. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, it, you know, don't underplay the history. I mean, the, the 2018 draft class is 0-4 down there. Sure. Guys like Shaq Leonard and Braden Smith and, and Naheem Hines, they feel it. You know, I don't know the whole locker room does, but they're sharing it. Naheem talked about that on Wednesday. They're telling some of the younger guys, hey, this is this is what's happened. You know, these guys have had our number. And I think they're more or less fed up with it, to be honest. It, it, it's one of those things that is frustrating as it is from the outside. Imagine being one of these players. And, and Naheem said straight up, I've never won there in my career. It's definitely, uh, yeah. Oh, it's hopefully a streak, George. Out and soon, really quickly here. I know it's still early in the week. Is there any sense of clarity with Shaq Leonard? I know they're going to kind of go through this week like they did last week. He's going to practice, 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 basically a game time decision. Is there any sense optimism that you see from the organization that maybe has you feeling a little bit better about him playing in week two compared to week one? I mean, you know, it's early in the week, obviously. Wednesday, they went pads, and he was full, or he was expected to be full. And I think that's a big step up. Last week, when they when they went pads on Thursday, that's why it was limited. Uh, so, you know, how big of a step? I don't know, but it's definitely another step forward. It'll be interesting to see. We've talked about it, you know, really from the moment that training camp started. Uh, it's they've got to be careful and they know that they want him to be 100%. They don't want to rush him back. They don't want to, it doesn't sound like there's a big risk of re-injury, but you're talking about back surgery here. So you want to yeah. be ultra, ultra careful with whatever you do. And I think the goal is, you know, first and foremost, he's got to be, everything's got to be behind him. When he gets back, he has to be completely recovered, completely ready to go. I don't think there's going to be a 95% in, in this instance. I think it's going to be all or nothing. I'll be honest, I'm already starting to second-guess my uh, declaration from a few weeks ago saying that week three is really the opener. Because after you tie the Texans, I mean, neither of us really thought that a, a tie with the Texans was going to be in the in you know in play. I will say it changes my calculus a little bit with how the Colts do handle Shaq Leonard. Now, to your point, you're right. If he's not 100% healthy and he's just physically doesn't feel, let's say, comfortable being out there, then it's not even a discussion. It's not a question. You don't put him out there. I will say I am more open to the fact of him playing on Sunday then I was to say this time last week, because when you now tie to the Texans, now you're going to Jacksonville week number two, you can't afford to lose to this Jaguars team. You got a gift in the division with the Jaguars losing and the Titans losing. But with what this division is, with your schedule that's coming up, it's about to increase. This is a, a must-win game for Indy, and I would treat it as such where if Shaq Leonard feels comfortable in playing and can play, I think I would reassess what I said a few weeks ago where I wouldn't play him under any circumstance the first two weeks. I'll be honest, George. That Texan side has, has changed my philosophy. I think they need a lift. You know, I think when, they do. when you look at That's that first three quarters, the, the defense wasn't playing badly, so to say. Uh, much like the offense, their their bad moments, a lot of them were self-inflicted. But they weren't there weren't impact plays. You know, until EJ Speed got that strip sack in the fourth quarter, you didn't see a lot of hands on on passes. You didn't see a lot of 
you know, tackles for losses. You, you really didn't see a real active defense like you expect to see from this group. And that's one thing, if nothing else, that's one thing you expect Shaq Leonard to bring. It's a great point. There's like no juice. You know, you didn't feel like that energy or like that swagger they had on the field compared to when 53 is out there for sure. All right. When we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, Marcel Robinson of the Jagsaw Podcast will join us, kind of go behind enemy lines to see from his perspective, what the hell is going on in Jacksonville that leads the Colts to just being unable to leave there with the win? He'll give us his perspective as the Colts get ready to head back to the House of Horrors in week number two on Sunday. All right, Colts fans, time to go behind the enemy lines with a team that most of you know all too well. Marcel Robinson is the Jagsaw podcast host right here on Odyssey. He does give us a few minutes, kind of give a little insight on a team that owns the Colts. So, Marcel, before we even get started here, number one, thanks for coming on. Number two, what is it the water in Jacksonville? Is there like some sort of voodoo curse that's over the, the <laughs> visiting locker room? What the hell is going on where anytime this Colts team since 2014 enters Jacksonville, they can't seem to leave with the win? I tell you what, I I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's it's the strangest phenomenon in Jacksonville. We say it every single year, you know, coming into it was oh, we're we're definitely losing to the Colts because they are absolutely the better team. But somehow, some way the Jaguars find a way to do it every single year and, and it's become kind of kind of a thing. So I don't know whether it's the water, I don't know whether it's the locker room or whether it's this you know, the, the humidity of the Jacksonville, Florida air, but whatever it is, I got to tell you, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> we talked to Naheem Hines today in the locker room and he said, you know, all across the league, all 32 teams have one team that just has their number for whatever reason. He said, the, the problem is ours is in our division, which means you see them, you know, every year. Uh, you do have a different look, though. Obviously, Doug Peterson on board. Uh, he and Frank Reich have a lot of familiarity. What did you see in week one, the differences with, with your new head coach? Uh, I think for this team, it's just um, between the difference between last year and coming in this year, it's just, you know, there's actually talent here. You know, that's one of the things that in Jacksonville we talk about for years to come or years past that they're just not talent here. You know, we have guys that come in here, they play here, and once they're done here, they're either out the league or they're, you know, jumping around journeymen. And it's just, that's the thing here in Jacksonville is that there's actually talent here. This is actually a legitimately competent, fun team to watch. And there's leaders all over the the, the, the roster on both sides of the ball. Obviously Trevor Lawrence in, in year two for him, but he has guys to throw to guys that you've heard of. You know, you have Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, of course, you know, Zay Jones, not as heard of, but you know, he's a guy and even Marvin Jones too. These are guys that, you know, and on defense, you have budding stars. The number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker. You know, he came up big in week one, making an unbelievable play that I can tell you we haven't seen here in I don't know how long. You know, and, and that's I think that's overall the difference. And getting all these guys together, Doug Peterson clearly has, you know, a competent team that they can go out there now. Of course, they did make quite a few mistakes, which, you know, week one, you never really know what you're going to get. But, you know, spirits were high. You know, I was in Washington for the game on the field level. You know, and, and it's just you can tell that this is a different team than what we experienced a year ago, which we tried not to talk about here in Jacksonville. Well, one of the big differences, Marcelo, you mentioned from last year, this year is the new head coach. Last year, Trevor Lawrence, speaking of talent, the guy for Jacksonville, had his best game, I thought, of his career against the Colts week, uh, week 18 to really finish them off. Now going to year two with an actual real head coach. What yeah. was what have you seen so far this offseason? Is there any difference in Trevor Lawrence's game now under Doug Peterson compared to last year? What was the disaster with Urban Meyer? I think it's just um, – I think there's a little more confidence there. Of course, you know, 
Trevor Lawrence is one of the greatest arms that we've seen, you know, in college mm-hmm. football and definitely one of the greatest arms we've seen here in Jacksonville. But what we can see now is a guy who who is he's under, under Doug Peterson, a guy who's played the position, a guy who's coached the position. Obviously, he's coached, you know, he won a Super Bowl. You can tell that there's a lot more confidence and you got a guy who knows what you're talking about. We're going from a coach that didn't know most of the players names on the roster to a guy who knows exactly what he's talking about. And Doug Peterson, and I think with Trevor Lawrence, you can really see that. You can tell that their relationship from the from the beginning has been pretty tight, pretty solid. And I think for Trevor, it's just a matter of you know he's still saying the same things, and he knows he has to improve. But you can start to see some of that improvement, you know, in year two. Obviously, going through training camp and in of course week one, you, you can definitely tell that there is a little bit of a jump. Now, of course, still some way to go in terms of just his his you know improvement, but. I think with Doug Peterson, it's a guy that he can relate to, like I said, playing the position and knowing that this is a guy who knows what it takes to be successful at this position and being a leader on the team. You mentioned earlier budding stars on the defense. Obviously, Travion Walker, the, the second straight number one pick in there. Uh, Josh Allen's a guy that, that really has caused problems for this Indianapolis team. Uh, and I think if you go back through these games, one of the consistent themes this Jacksonville defensive line has done a really good job of beating the Colts offensive line. They don't see that a lot uh, in the last four years, but it seems like every time they play Jacksonville, that happens. Does it feel like with Walker on board and Allen a year older, that that defensive line is even a step further ahead this season? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, just having someone else on that other side that is has that star caliber in Trayvon Walker for Josh Allen to be partnered with, it just it it's, it makes a tremendous difference. You know, we saw it last week. We saw both of those guys making plays when in years past, we'll go back to last year, you know, that that other side, that other defensive end position, of course it was a different scheme, but in the same token, just not having a superstar type of guy on the other end, Josh Allen got all the attention. And like you just said, this is a Colts offensive line that is usually year in and year out pretty good. Like we, that's the one thing that has been consistent that I always talk about is the Colts offensive line is good. You can't just go in there with one guy to make plays. And having a guy like Trayvon Walker partner with Josh Allen, it, it sort of keeps that offensive line scheme honest a little bit. You have a guy on both ends that you have to kind of worry about. And that only helps the rest of the defense. I mean, the, the defensive line, the interior guys, a guy like Roy Robertson Harris, Foley Fatukasi. You know, Devon Hamilton, all of these guys made plays last week versus Washington because they were able to. You have guys around this this team, this defensive line, this defensive unit, I should say, that can draw attention. It allows all the guys to really join the party, so to speak. Speaking of the defensive line, Marcel, the last two games we've seen from the Jaguars going back to last year, week 18, that defensive front just killed the Colts. That was one of the big areas that changed the game in their favor and ended up getting them to win. And then obviously you add Trayvon Walker, number one overall, I personally, I don't know about you, was a little disappointed in the defensive line's output last week against the Commanders. I thought they get a little more pressure. Sack Carson Wentz more than the one time they did. Going into now this matchup against the Colts here in week number two, do you expect the defensive line performance more to mirror the week 18 performance we saw last year against the same unit or still kind of a work in progress or maybe a similar effort is going to be like last week where there's not as much pressure on the quarterback as maybe you would think with some of the talents of the names you have on the defensive line? I think I'm going to, I'm going to do probably one, one of the worst things that we we like in this business is to say I think it's kind of in, in between. I think it's kind of a mixture <laughs> of both of those. Are we going to see what we saw last week? I definitely think the defensive line is going to play better. You know, I think that defensive line, you know, being that they've been practicing together, training camp obviously, but 
playing in a real actual game where it actually means something against the top caliber competition on the other side, it definitely takes some getting used to. And I think there was a little bit of growing pains, growing pain. Some of these guys have definitely played together, you know, over the course of the last year. But I think if I'm if I'm looking at what I expect from this defensive line, I think I'm expecting a little bit better performance. Now, um, like I said, I was in Washington watching this defensive line against the Washington Commanders, and it was just there were just so many times when the defensive line they were getting home, but they weren't finishing the play. Now you see a guy like a Josh Allen, or even you talk about like a Roy Robertson here, some of these defensive line guys, and even some of the linebackers, you could see them in the right position, but just didn't finish. And that's kind of been the the, the ongoing theme in the early goings now that we're talking to the team this week is you know, we just got to finish. Like, you just have to finish. It's, it's not enough to just be there to deter the play or change the play. There were times when they were getting after Carson Wentz, but they didn't get him down. There were times when they were getting after Carson Wentz, and he was able to make something out of nothing, get out and use his legs. So, you know, watching Matt Ryan over the years, he's not necessarily the most mobile guy. So I think that bodes well for this defensive line just because that's the type of quarterback that they are successful against in, in history's past you know you just look at him mm-hmm. you know matt ryan he, he's he's a guy that likes to step up in the pocket he's a guy that likes to control the game from the pocket and just dish the ball wherever he can where his weapons are you know and that's what makes him so dangerous but i think that may bode to be a little bit of, of a strength of play to the strengths of this jacksonville jaguars defensive line we talk a lot about, you know, the problems the Colts have had down there in Jacksonville, and, and obviously those are well documented. Uh, but, you know, I think maybe one of the best games last year was was the Buffalo game for the Jaguars, winning 9-6. to six. Have you seen over the years, th- does this defense get up at home? Is, is, is it a different look when they're playing on their own home field? It's a completely different feel, honestly, you know, and I think that's sort of a thing that you could probably say is relevant for the other 31 teams in the NFL. You know, there's just something about playing at home in front of your home crowd. It's even just your routine getting to the game. You know, it's very different. You know, we travel on the road with the team, and it's just different. We have to get up in the hotel room, get on the buses. Sometimes you have to drive 30, 40 minutes from your hotel. You're on the bus versus coming home like you're you're getting up out of your own bed. You're, you're coming, you have your routine. You can get to the stadium, do your routine. You're in your locker room, that familiarity. And then, of course, the fans. You know, I, it, it makes a tremendous difference. And there were times in that Washington game when – it was full of Jacksonville fans, but when those Jacksonville fans were going nuts, the team was playing well. When Washington was doing well and the Jacksonville fans weren't as quiet, you could tell that there was a little bit of a difference. So I think just that home atmosphere, you know, it's sort of the cliche of playing at home, you know, getting that boost from the fans, but it's real. And, and of course, as someone who's covered this team for, you know, going on 10 years, you can definitely see the bump when, you know, the bank is buzzing, as we call it down here. <laughs> Speaking of home field, what kind of crowd are you expecting this weekend, Marcel? Last time the Colts were in Indy, the fans were wearing clown masks in protest <laughs> of, of the GM. Unfortunately, we found that the only clowns were the ones on the field of the visiting team. Is there a, a, a palpable buzz you feel at the new head coach and Doug Peterson, obviously Trevor Lawrence in year number two? Are we expecting like a, a raucous crowd on Sunday or still kind of, for the most part, I, I guess an average Jacksonville Jaguars crowd we've seen the last few years? I think to expect anything less would be a disservice. You know, I think there is definitely some disappointment into how the team performed last week against Washington because that was, you know, a, the common theme about that was it was a winnable game, you know, versus mm-hmm. Washington. This is a team that didn't have, you know, a lot of, of, of I guess, pull, if you want to call it that. But, you know, coming home, you know, the, the, the crowds here, they always get up. It doesn't matter whether this team is, you know, 0-17, which hopefully never happens, or, you know, they're competing for a playoff spot in, in December. You know, I think – with it being the home opener, you know, everyone's going to be here in full force. Now, Jacksonville is 
a walk up town. So as far as like pre-sales and guys coming in, like it may not get full until say the second quarter, but I think it's definitely, you know, it would be a disservice to think that this place won't be packed. Along the same lines, this is the last one for me. Uh, we talk a lot about the defense, but how much confidence has Doug Peterson brought to this offense, and in particular to, to Trevor Lawrence? I mean, a year ago, it's pretty well documented, Urban Meyer's offense was, was not suited to the league. Uh, have you seen a big jump already in your young quarterback? Yeah, just because there's a lot more confidence. You know, I think as a quarterback, it comes back to that word, confidence. When you're confident in what the guys who are on your units are doing, then you perform better. I mean, there, there are times last year I can say with my own eyes where I, I could see Trevor literally, you know, hesitating to throw a ball, whether it's because you know, a particular receiver might drop the ball or he's not in the right spot. I mean, if you talk about this team last year, the guys we were running out there at wide receiver position are not premier guys. You know, obviously we have DJ Chart. You know, our, our basically our, our one, our wide receiver one go down goes down with an injury. Then Jamal Agnew comes in, you know, and he starts making plays at wide receiver. Well, then he gets hurt. Well, then we're, we're running out guys who are essentially practice squad guys, you know, training camp guys, just plugging and playing whoever we can find. You know, I think our best receiver last year, once all those injuries happened, was Laquan Treadwell, who, by the way, didn't yeah. make the team coming out of training camp. You know, played well last year. But I think this year it's, it's so much different. You have a guy like Christian Kirk, you pay him all this money. He comes in and he's been playing extremely well. Had a very good game against Washington. You had a guy like Zay Jones who can stretch the field, who was probably Trevor Lawrence's favorite target in training camp. And then you bring in a, in a tight end, which has been the Achilles heel for the Jacksonville Jaguars ever since Mercedes Lewis left. They've been trying and trying and not being able to find a guy. And a guy like Evan Ingram, who sure he's had his misfortunes up there in New York, but this is a guy who can make plays. And he's shown that. So you have guys that can make plays. And then, of course, you talk about the backfield. Yeah, James Robinson and Travis Etienne, a guy that Trevor's very familiar with. Now, granted, you'd like Travis Etienne to catch that touchdown pass in Washington, but you know, there's so much confidence around this offensive unit. You know, if the offensive line plays better, then Trevor Lawrence is going to deal the ball wherever he wants to do. And I think that's the hope. And I, I know that's their game plan coming into this weekend. Two cool questions for me, Marcel, here to wrap up. Number one, this is a head coaching, you know, matchup that they're both very familiar with. Obviously, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, both on that Eagles 2017 Super Bowl team. Sure. Who would you give the advantage to? Is there an advantage in this game, head coach wise? Um, I think if I'm if I'm looking at it, if we're talking about an advantage, I don't know if there's necessarily one, but if I had to pick one to get off the fence, I would probably just say maybe Frank Reich gets a slight advantage just because his familiarity with you know most of the guys on the Colts team. You know, that his culture, this is not a new culture, right? In Jacksonville, Doug Peterson is implementing a new culture, which I think has been very successful and is well on its way. But I, I guess I would just say because of Frank Wright, his culture is already implemented in Indianapolis, like that you know what you're getting out of there. And it's sort of like, you know, that train is already moving. It's just a matter of plugging the different pieces, right? You're right. In Indianapolis, you're essentially changing the tires, right? In Jacksonville, we just got a new engine. So, you know, I, I think it, so if I have to pick one, I guess I would give a slight edge to Frank Reich. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to these football games, it's about the players on the field. And then finally, Marcel, last week we had John McClain on preview the Texans. And I asked him this question. The Texans win this game if he said if the Colts get food poisoning, can't show up to the game. <laughs> Obviously, something must have maybe a, a bad meal Saturday night because the Colts for at least three quarters definitely did not show up. I'll ask yeah. you that same question. Jaguars win on Sunday if. I think the Jaguars went on Sunday if they wanted the trenches. That's basically what it comes down to. This team is, is successful when Trevor Lawrence is upright and they're successful when the defensive line is causing fits 
for opposing offenses. I, I saw a stat not long ago that said that Trevor Lawrence was among you know the top 10 quarterbacks when he was not pressured, when he wasn't running for his life, when he was, you know, being pressured, hurried and being sacked, you know, he was among the, the 12 worst. So I think it's just the Jaguars win this game if they can control the trenches because we don't expect to stop Jonathan Taylor. It's just about containing it. If you can contain Jonathan Taylor in the trenches, then you win. Marcel, well, we saw last year too. That was that battle was won in the trenches without a doubt. Jacksonville dominated. Marcel Robinson, listen, have a great podcast on the Jacksonville podcast right here on Odyssey. Not to be a bad guy, but fingers crossed, it's a it's a gloomy and doomy Sunday <laughs> post game pod. Me and George had that last Sunday. John McClain is very, I'm sure, excited. So all the best. We do appreciate you coming on, but hopefully, fingers crossed, Sunday we're talking about a Jaguars loss and the streak finally be broken. Absolutely, man. No problem. I, I respect it. I respect it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Marcel. You got Thank it, guys. You, Marcel. Let's go. All right, George, you heard Marcel there kind of give his thoughts. And one thing that stuck out, competency, right? Last year, the Urban Meyer debacle did not go very well. Now, by the time week 18, the Colts got down to Jacksonville's Darrell Bevel being the head coach at that point. Urban Meyer was long gone. And now you bring in a competent coach in Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl champion head coach in Doug Peterson, who has a history, a short history at least, of developing quarterbacks. See Carson Wentz, who should have won the MVP in 2017 had he not gotten hurt. Trevor Lawrence coming in now to year number two, year number one with, with Doug Peterson. How much more, I hate to even say it this way, but how much more dangerous is this Jacksonville team now that there's actual real leadership involved at the top? I think you could hear it in Marcel's voice. You know, I think there's a, there's an enthusiasm down there because all of a sudden you have a chance. You know, he felt like probably last year they probably felt like they were handcuffed. They were playing, you know, shorter than every other team because of the situation that they had. And now you throw in Doug Peterson, you throw in a real NFL offense, you throw in a competent leader, and now they've added some, you know, as he mentioned, they've added some receivers, they've added a tight end. Uh, I think you're going from a team that you felt like uh, you kind of had to make mistakes for them to, to to score on you. And now this is a team that you probably don't have to do that. You can probably play decently and they may still beat you uh, with this offense. And I think that's, that's got to give, that's got to do wonders for the defense through this all, even losing stars like Jalen Ramsey and Yannick Ngakwe and everything else that's gone on that defense in Jacksonville has remained somewhat good. At least, I mean, it's, it's not at the level that it was, but especially that, that front, has, has been able to cause people problems, you know, especially Indianapolis. I mean, my, my view of it's probably colored because every time I see them, they look like pro bowlers. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's one thing they take they take pride in. You know, defense in Jacksonville means a lot, and they've always been kind of more of a defensive-oriented franchise. And I think now you give that defense that has some young stars, they have to feel like they have a chance. And I'm not sure that was the case last year. I'm glad you brought up Yannick Ngakwe, too, now going back to your team that drafted you know, one of the, the Saxonville stars, if you will, back on the 2017 that went all the way to the AFC title game. Have you gotten a sense from him so far, like what this means and kind of his emotions heading back to the place where it all started for him? Yeah, you know, we haven't talked to him yet, but he did it on Twitter. He came out on Twitter and said, uh, you know, this, this week feels different. I think some people took that wrong. They didn't really realize what he was talking about. They thought he was talking about the Houston game, and, and I looked it up. This is first time back in Jacksonville. It feels like he's been gone forever. He yeah, was actually wow. there as recently as 2019. He played them when he was on the Ravens in 2020, but that game was in Baltimore. So Sunday will be his first time back in Jacksonville since he left the franchise. Uh, you know, I think everything from 2019 feels like it's 10 years ago. Yeah, so it probably you know, it's no different here. Uh, but it, it, that was shocking to me. I thought for sure he'd been back once already. 
This is going to be his first trip back there. So you figure he's going to have a lot of emotions. And honestly, look, look what Jerry Hughes did on Sunday. And that game was in Houston. But that the guys you draft who end up going somewhere else, they tend to play with a little more of an edge. You hope. I mean, it could go the other way, too. We saw Monday night Russell Wilson go back to Seattle for the first time. Now that situation is completely different. But he, at least early on, looked a little skittish, looked a little, you know, rattled. Um, before kind of settling in, you're right. You hope that he could channel and Gakwe could channel more of his Jerry Hughes self. I'm sure that's the only time we'll say that in a sentence. Uh, and kind of channel it for for good. And you hope not just him, but you hope the rest of the defensive line kind of also plays for Yannick. Because we've seen that kind of ability also rub off on other teams as well. When you know, you know, a guy is going back in a tank, it's his first time back, and this means a lot to him. We want to show not only have his back, but we want to kind of lift him up as well. You hope Quiddy Pay can carry over what he did a week one to week number two. And DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, same thing. They almost play in a weird way, not for themselves, but for Yana to kind of make him proud and kind of you know help him in his return back to Jacksonville. I think he saw that in 2019 when they went to Kansas City with Justin Houston. He had a big game. I think he ended up having a tackle for loss at the end, yeah. kind of sealed the win. But it felt like not just the defensive line, the whole defense played for Justin Houston that day. Uh, you know, he, he obviously had some intel that, that Yannick won't have because he'd been there much more recently. Uh, so he was able to, to kind of feed some things to them. But you know what? The Jaguars are playing the Colts offense. I mean, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich run almost the same system. They know it well. Frank Reich, I'm sure, has sat down with Gus Bradley this week and probably will continue to do so and talk about this is what Doug Peterson's going to do in this situation. So I think that the Colts are going to have similar intel to what they had going into that Kansas City game. And similar motivation in terms of, you know, hey, like you said, let's do this for for Yannick. It's going to be interesting to see for sure, like I said, because both both teams are so familiar with each other. And now, especially when you add the head coach to battle with them knowing each other as well as they do, there's not a lot of secrets. Right? There's not a lot of secrets, George, that will be uh, uncovered this week for sure. So let me ask you a question I honestly did not think we'd be asking right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod this early on in the season. Week two, the Colts are 0-0-1. Week two in Jacksonville. This is this a must-win game for the Colts? I don't know how I can't say that, uh, given how we talked about you know the importance of these first five games, these first seven games, and these first two games. We said all along they got to be two and zero. That's not going to happen. The best they can be is one zero and one. Yeah, it's a must-win game. I'm with you. I don't think it's too early for a must-win game. Like you said, the schedule is important, but also too, it's it's momentum. It's kind of getting everything now on the right track. I have a hard time thinking if you can't win in Houston week one, you can't win in Jacksonville week number two. Now you're coming home with the Chiefs and the Titans back to weeks coming to your building. I don't see a miracle happening where they could kind of turn their play around in two weeks and all of a sudden be a better team the next two weeks and beat those teams. You're right. This is, I'm with you. I don't think it's true to say it's a must win. The division last week gave you a break. They're not going to give you a break every single week. If you don't keep on capitalizing on those opportunities, pretty sure you're going to be digging at yourself out of a hole like they have the last few years. So I'm with it. End the streak. Get some confidence. Kind of get the monkey off your back, if you will, as well. With Jacksonville, you had the week one streak hanging over you last week. They couldn't do. At least end the Jacksonville losing streak and feel good. But heading home uh, against week three against Look, if week one is any indication, it is going to be a red-hot Chiefs offense that Patrick Holmes looked like somehow he has gotten better without Tyree Kill. So it's going to be a really tough sledding and a really tough game uh, in Kansas City next week. So give yourself already a little bit of cushion here by winning in Jacksonville. I'm with it. It's an absolute must-win for the Colts. What's an area you're looking at here? Marcel talked about before, and we've both highlighted it uh, as well throughout the pod. 
defensive line play for the Jaguars has been the one key and the one consistent, if you will, throughout this winning streak for the Jags and Jacksonville. It's been a difference maker. What do you kind of look at this week for the Colts? Say the cleanup or, or one area they need to win uh, in order to win this game? Yeah, I'll go with two uh, just because I like to cheat. So <laughs> one of them, we talked about that Saxonville idea. You know, you can go back. It's still etched in my brain that the 2017 home game at Lucas Oil Stadium when, when Jacoby Brissett got sacked 10 times. It hasn't been that bad every game, but it feels like it. It feels like they're always in the backfield. They're hitting the quarterback on every play. I think no sacks. I think if, if the Colts allow no sacks, I think they win this game. I think that's one big number there. Uh, the other one, though, I think – the, the big area, we talked about it at the very top of the show, the red zone. You know, yes. you've got to finish these drives. They didn't do it in Houston. They've not done it consistently in Jacksonville. That, to me, is the other sort of, you know, through line in, in, in these games is when you do have the chances to score, not taking advantage of it, they have got to finish these drives in the end zone. If they're 80% or better in the red zone and they don't allow sacks, I think the Colts win on Sunday. Well, especially the last two years, George, 2020 and 2021, that's, the Colts have left a lot of points because they have gone for it, and I like the aggressors from Frank Reich, but they've been unable to, whether it's get a yard, whether it's you know get a fourth and goal, they've been unable to kind of punch it through. You're 100% right. This has to be a red zone percentage. We're looking at the Colts scoring, you know, at least bare minimum, let's say if they get five opportunities, three out of five here. I like your 80% because you're right. you got to only get down there consistently, also be punching in for sure. Last week, they're two out of five in the red zone. One of the reasons why they ended up with a tie. I, you know, if you go to, I'll go to as well. Number one, the, the one area the Colts need to clean up for sure that's going to lead to a win, mental mistakes. I mean, we highlighted it a lot on Sunday's pod and also the midweek pod as well. I mean, whether it's stupid penalties, whether it is not having guys uh, on the field in time, whether it's you know running to the kicker that you know that that kill or the running to the punter I should say the Colts had so many communication breakdowns just sloppy mental mistakes that really again allowed a bad Texans team to stay in the game for as long as you can again if you allow that to happen in Jacksonville for week number two the Jags are going to win like they don't need a lot right now in this matchup for them to win and if you are committing the same stupid penalties you did last week where you're giving them extra life or you're giving them on a third down a bailout on you know a stupid call or a stupid play and allowing them to get a first down or vice versa, you're sitting there at first and 20 because you have a formation issue or an unnecessary holding call, you're just going to be killing yourself. The Colts are unable to overcome their mistakes in week number one. And if they do the same thing, don't clean it up, they're not going to be winning in, in week number two. So you really need to clean up a lot of the sloppy mistakes we saw in Houston last week. But another key, too, I'm looking at, especially this is a player-wise, I'm looking at Naeem Hines here. Because with we talked about before, with the two focal points of the offense being Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. And to Jacksonville's credit, they've done a, a great job in recent years of limiting those two weapons, especially in Jacksonville. I'm going to assume, George, that we'll see more of that in, in week number two, where I don't think Jonathan Taylor's going to be running for 200 yards in this game or even 161 like he did against Houston in week number one. So if that's game, if he is bottled up a little bit, I think Naeem Hines is a guy that I really want to see kind of, you know, break out, whether it's both in the run game and the pass game. He's a great weapon for the Colts. He can be lined up anywhere on the field. And you even saw last week in their week one game for the Commanders against, uh, for the Jaguars against the Commanders, they kind of have a similar system with James Robinson and Travis Etienne where kind of Etienne does mimic that Hines role. Worked out to the, you know, their benefit there. And if the Colts are able to get Hines, let's say 100 total yards, 
of offense, you know, maybe 55, 60 through the air, and then, you know, you get some good rushing chunks as well. That's going to be huge. That opens up now this Jags defense for maybe extra holes for Jonathan Taylor or less attention from the defense on Michael Pittman Jr. That's a guy that I hope the Colts uh, do get involved early and often here, especially if Alec Pierce unable to play uh, in week number two. 100%. 100%. The other thing I throw in there is tempo. You know, yeah. you can't do it the whole game. It's not going to work in the NFL the whole game. We talked about that even after. I think we talked about it on, on our last pod, actually. You know, it, it, there's a lot of things about it that Matt Ryan does that opens things up. But I think, again, Jacksonville's number one goal the last couple of years with this team has been to just drag the game down in the mud, keep the Colts from getting their athletes out in space and using their speed. And I think you you, you can maybe force a little bit of that if, if you can, you know, push the tempo, especially early, and maybe open up some of those lanes. And the thing about it is this team can run in tempo. We saw that in Houston in the fourth quarter. They can run. You don't think about that, but this team can use Jonathan Taylor when they're going tempo as well. And I just think you can't do it the whole game, but I I would like to see them open up in tempo. Especially like first drive of the game, whether it's you get the opening kickoff or you, you you hopefully get a three and out of defense. I'm with you. I think from the first drive, come out there, go up tempo, go no huddle, because we saw Trayvon Walker last week, interception and a sack on Carson Wentz. You mentioned Josh Allen before, total game breaker on the other side. How do you slow those two guys down and limit their impact? It's by just going, 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 tiring them out, having them not be able to pin their ears back. And just like you said, if you go no huddle, it limits the, the disguises the defenses can run and limit just the, you know, the energy that they can put into rushing the passer every single play. It slows that defensive line that has really killed the Colts the last few years. I am with you 100%. First drive, Frank Reich, I would love to see Tempo. I'm with you there. All right, George, here we go. We both are right now on our season picks 0 for 1. You picked a blowout. I picked a blowout last week in Houston. We were dead wrong on that with the 2020 tie. Week number two. Is this the year the Jacksonville streak does end? What's the score and why, uh, who are you picking to win? I told you at the beginning of the, the, the show, I teams lost the benefit of the doubt. You know what I mean? Last week I thought, okay, this is, I'll go ahead and pick it. The streak's going to end, and, and it didn't. I can't do that again. I'm going to pick Jacksonville. Uh, I'm going to pick Jacksonville 27-24. to 24. You know – Great minds think alike, George. I'm picking the Jags, too. I'm going, I'll say 23-17. I think it's a little bit of a lower score and kind of ugly drag-it-out game. But you're 100% right. This team does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. Going into week number one, the Colts have made changes to their credit. They change their practice schedule. They change the way they play starters in the preseason. They change the quarterback to someone that they trust really well. Everything geared in some part to break in that week one stretch, uh, week one streak, and getting off to a good start, unlike previous years, they couldn't do it 0 for 1 in the tie. To your point, why should I believe now that if one streak could not be broken, then all of a sudden now things are going to go their way in week number two, this is a truly different team, and that for all the woes they've had in Jacksonville, they're going to be able to overcome that. I don't see it. You're right. A normal time, no, most years, I would give the Colts a benefit of the doubt. They have more talent. Their quarterback is better. They're a, a more veteran team that's ready to win and has winning experience already where the Jaguars don't. All that said, throw it out the window. I'm with you. I can't right now sit here with a straight face and tell you the Colts are going to win this game. I can't pick them. So I'm with you. I, I think Jaguars win 23-17, lower scoring, kind of a sloppy, ugly game, kind of similar to what we saw last year. Except the, the score is a little bit closer. I mean, you hope, uh, I hope, honestly, I say 23-17, it could be 23 nothing, and you score 17 garbage time points to make it, you know, closer than it is. I think it will be a close game, but I just can't see right now the Colts overcoming 
the the house of horrors uh, after week one where they should have exercised their demons and instead got off to the worst start for three quarters and I even could possibly imagine happening. Yep. No, I'm with you. You know, again, the benefit of the doubt is gone. Uh, and Jacksonville's shown this. They've done it now eight years, you know, through different coordinators, different head coaches, different personnel uh, on both sides. Uh, they they have this franchise's number. And, you know, honestly, I agree 100% with Marcel. Jacksonville wins if they win in the trenches. And from what I saw on Sunday, right now, I got to give that edge to, to the Jaguars. That's a good point, yeah. Colt offense line was disappointing. And if they had, you know, trouble kind of, moving the Texans defensive line. They'll have a lot more trouble moving the Jaguars defensive line as well. All right, George, so you're heading down to Jacksonville. Can you do us a favor here? When you land, can you kind of get a sense of what the air is like, you know, going from Indy to Jacksonville? I don't know if the air is going to be, you know, tougher to breathe. Do you get it kind of, do you feel like some voodoo sense? Can you, can you give us maybe a, a feel once you land down there and, and kind of get your bearings? Is there anything tangible we could see? In Jacksonville, that for whatever reason just makes anything from Indy go to die. Yeah, well, I'll find out. I've only been there once before. I don't remember anything, uh, you know, too much. It is heavier air down there. You know, maybe that's it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's like the reverse of Denver. You know, Denver's a thin air. You have to have the air, uh, oxygen masks. I don't know, you know what you do for thicker air and uh, on a non-hostile, you know, environment in terms of crowd-wise. But hopefully, George, when we talk next on Sunday evening, we are talking about a one and uh Jeez, see, this is where the, the tie sucks. <laughs> the tie sucks. We're talking about a 1-0-1 team and not an 0-1-1 team. That is for sure. Have a safe trip down to Jacksonville. Uh, catch George on Twitter throughout the week and throughout, you know, game day at GM Bremer. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Colts fans, we will be back Sunday evening to give you the initial breakdown of either, hopefully, the Colts breaking their streak or what well, me and George both predict will happen. The Jaguars continuing and the, the pit of misery for the Colts continuing into what was going to be a very interesting game three against the Chiefs. So have a great weekend, Colts fans. We'll talk to you on Sunday after the game.